welcome to this eighth COVID-19 webinar. You're very welcome on behalf of FDF and all my colleagues. Uh, I'm glad to welcome you to listening to our thoughts. We have a whole range of subjects to cover and we're going to crack on very quickly because I know there's a lot to get through this week. So we're going to look at key developments uh, since the last webinar, which I'll cover then. Uh, my colleague Nikki Hunt will look at the enablers, school transport and the support uh, that we've been able to rally for those working in the food and drink industry. Uh, Kate Halliwell will take us through symptoms, tracking and the issue of risk assessments. Uh, my colleague Mark Harrison will as ever bring us up to date on developments in the world of work, labour and employment. Uh, Dominic Goody will talk about business support and might have a moment to mention the UK's new tariff schedule, which was published at seven o'clock this morning. Uh, David Thompson and Pete Robertson will cover what's going on in the devolved administrations. And then Ted Woodward will join us to talk about our Hidden Heroes campaign and industry reputation as a consequence of the crisis. I'll come back to pick up uh, current issues uh, some observations about where we go next and in particular answer your questions with my colleague uh, Tim Rycroft. Uh, detailed developments I think over the last week uh, we've seen measures to stimulate the housing market and allow the construction industry to restart. The government acknowledged its difficulties on contract tracing on contact tracing and on the Track and Trace app, uh, both on the Isle of Wight and in its other applications. And we understand that that's now going to be at least a week and possibly two weeks away. And I should say that colleagues from the Food and Drink Federation are working on a working party from the food industry, which is trying to make sure that that Track and Trace app is entirely suited to the needs of food and drink factories and that we don't have any issues that mean that colleagues who do not need to go into isolation do as a consequence of, of wrong associations. But we maybe have more to say about that later. Uh, then on the 14th of May, we saw new ONS data, further ONS data on COVID-19. We know that the antibody test has been approved by PHE. Uh, there's been two billion pounds worth of funding for road and rail transport and of course for London uh, for transport for London which has been very badly hit with uh, passenger figures down to five percent of normal traffic. Uh, the Scottish Enterprise Resilience Fund has reopened and David will say something about that and new FSA guidance for food businesses. On the 15th uh, we saw a time story about uh, with J written by James Forsyth the editor of The Spectator about the Prime Minister's very very clear focus that obesity has been a major part of the cause of this uh, epidemic amongst many of those who have sadly died and his wish to do something about it. We've heard from the health secretary that the R number is creeping up as a result of impacts in care homes. The government confirmed at the end of last week that agri-food trade entering Northern Ireland ports will be subject to physical checks after the 31st of December, something I think we expected but hadn't heard confirmed. The Welsh government, uh, Mark Drakeford, published his lockdown exit strategy and we've had new HSE guidance on working safely during the outbreak. And then over the weekend, very heated debates uh, involving Gavin Williamson, the education secretary, about the reopening 
of schools from the 1st of June with the unions taking a very hard line on not reopening and the headmasters and head, head teachers and principals being more emollient on that issue. Then again over the weekend, uh, Michael Gove uh, counteracting uh, uh, Brandon Lewis suggestion that the number of tracers for the track and trace system was quite low. Michael Gove saying on Sunday that nearly all of the those 18,000 required had been hired. Uh, the Prime Minister uh, paying tribute to the efforts of those producing, processing and distributing and selling food uh, in the context of those who are acting in the national interest, putting others first. Yesterday, uh, the government announcing that uh, it had put £35 million pounds aside to, to protect critical freight, uh, freight routes, very important for us. And we've seen earlier help for ferries in this crisis, a lot of money going into maintaining uh, those routes. Yesterday, too, this suggestion that lack of taste and smell are actual symptoms of coronavirus. Uh, that's an important point for the right household because we think that confirms something we thought, which is that my wife Judith had had this right at the start of the uh, of the crisis. Uh, yesterday evening, Matt Hancock telling us that testing was now available on demand for all those who have symptoms over the age of five, and also telling us that all 20, the 21,000 people uh, have now been recruited to allow us to roll out, to uh, allow track and trace to be rolled out. And then today, some very interesting numbers on unemployment up to 2.1 million. At the same time, the tariff, uh, um, uh, tariff schedule published by the Department for International Trade. And later today, Pete Robertson is going to give evidence to the Welsh Senate Committee on Environment. And I'll be giving evidence at 2.30 uh, uh, to the EFRA Committee. So if you're near a television in Wales or in uh, the rest of the UK, please find something else to watch. Let's move on, Tim. And now here's Nikki Hunt to take us through progress on enablers. Nikki, over to you. So as I said last week, uh, schools in England have been told that subject to the five tests being passed, that they should be welcoming back pupils in nurseries, reception year one and year six in primary schools, and that it was hoped that years 10 and 12 in secondary would receive some face-to-face -face tuition before summer. Following last week's webinar, the government also clarified that children of key workers would also be able to return to school. Um, whereas earlier in the outbreak, they were keen to keep children at home if there was a parent to look after them there. Uh, the new advice is that children of critical workers are now encouraged to attend school, even if there is someone at home to look after them. Um, this is regardless of year group. Obviously, if they are self-isolating or someone in the household means that they're self-isolating or symptomatic, um, then they're not to attend. Schools have been told that they're expected to offer full-time, full provision for those children eligible to return and that they're not to return on a rotor basis. So I think it was uh, widely speculated that might be the case for some court schools to uh, accommodate social distancing, that they're apparently not to return on a rotor basis. Um, you'll see in the press, and obviously Ian's just mentioned that uh, many of the teaching unions are not yet on board with the idea of reopening, um, and that some areas have already declared opposition to returning. So I would suggest that you please check your local arrangements for your area that are likely to uh, impact your own employees. Children are people who are classed as extremely clinical vulnerable and not expected to attend. Um, but for those children who are just classed as clinically vulnerable, there's a difference, um, there's no firm guidance, but the government is advising uh, discussions between the 
parent and their medical consultant before they return to school. A number of you last week asked about the provision during the holiday periods. Unfortunately, this still remains a little bit vague. For the Maybank holiday and for the half term, um, schools are being encouraged to discuss provision with key worker parents and to make a decision based on community needs. Um, so no clear answer. It's very much on a case-by-case -case basis according to the, the school and the area. As yet, there's no clear guidance for summer holidays, um, but I expect they're probably waiting to see what uh, what happens. And of course, some schools do already run their own uh, summer camps routinely um, over that break. Um, schools are also encouraged to run their own breakfast clubs and after-school clubs to assist parents who are key workers. But it's also made clear that during this period, um, parents of any age group will not be fined if they don't attend. So um, that's obviously, there's been a lot of parents asking whether it's compulsory for their children to go back. Um, and although the schools have said that, uh, yes, they should go back, they're not fining parents if, if they choose to keep them away. On the transport side of things, the mass back to work um, deluge predicted for yesterday didn't happen, according to many of the pictures that we saw. Um, over the weekend, transport operators announced that some of their plans returning to um, normal operating levels and passenger numbers will be put in place. Many of the overground train lines have already made some alterations to their timetables and they've also put in place measures for safety such as uh, queuing systems and buying uh, tickets in advance. Some train lines have stated that they're running essential services for key workers um, but they've not actually as far as I can see set out how or whether that they plan to um, check that people are key workers or indeed whether they will. If anybody experiences any difficulties, don't forget there is the key worker template on the FDF website that you can download um, and use in conjunction with uh, your own staff ID. In London, TfL is expecting service capacity to be only around 15% of its usual on the underground network, which uh, anyone that travels on it will know is, is not very much. Um, and it's advisable to check your own uh, local transport provider's website on a daily basis as, uh, as your employees return to, to work if they do. Just finally, a bit of information about some of the other support that we've got available for members. Um, and you'll see there uh, a webinar that we've uh, just added to our events area literally this morning um, around challenger brands. Um, and this will be a live discussion with Q&A um, with a small group of food and industry leaders on uh, consumer businesses who are um, in the thick of the uh, COVID situation at the moment, which I assume is, is most of you <laughs> in the Challenger Brands uh, section. So that's up on the FGF website now and you can register for that, it's, it's free. A couple of other uh, useful things from our affiliate members, Erwin uh, Mitchell um, will be running a couple of webinars. One is literally today, so sign up soon if you would like to. Um, and that's around the health and safety considerations of going back to your premises during uh, uh, after the lockdown period, uh, just to make sure that everything's safe for employees to return. And on Thursday, they'll be running a webinar around the legality of the insurance side of things um, and what you might be able to claim as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, finally, just on risk assessments, uh, Squire Patton Boggs, who've uh, done a lot of work with us and supported members brilliantly over the um, pandemic period, they are also offering some advice on risk assessment, which I know is causing um, some concerns for many of you. Um, and if you get in touch with us on the email addresses there, we'll put you in touch with the guys that can help you out. And with that, uh, it's over to Kate. First up on the change of advice that Ian mentioned, so it's an announcement from all four uh, chief medical officers across the UK um, around the loss or change to your normal sense of taste or smell is now recognised as a symptom. Um, that means that you should self-isolate and your employees should be self-isolating 
if they experience that as a symptom. The um, on testing really just uh, wanted to note here that uh, from our member survey, it seems that uh, where people are having problems, it's mainly with the employer portal, uh, not exclusively, but mainly. We have been feeding that back to government and it is uh, going into the central team. So hopefully that will improve. But nonetheless, you, you might want to note that if you can get your employees to self-refer, that seems to be far less problematic. And then just touching on track and trace, uh, as Ian mentioned, there is a working group that's going to be looking at requirements for the manufacturing setting, uh, and we will be on that. And basically, that's really trying to make sure um, that as this or when this rolls out, it will work. Several of you have raised with us phones being stored in lockers, uh, and we've certainly made government aware of that as an issue and fed that in. But if there are um, practicalities that come to mind uh, that you think it'd be really useful to feed in ahead of this rolling out more widely and guidance, then please do um, put that in an email to the COVID inquiry email address and we'll be able to pick that up and feed that in. I wanted to pick up on uh, risk assessments uh, and then face coverings, which are two of the issues we've had quite a a lot of questions about um so on risk assessments so nikki mentioned us there um around the help of um square pattern box on this area and in terms of generic advice that they gave to us really they were looking saying that people should effectively keep keep to what you know keep use the experts you know use the template you usually use and add COVID-19 into that normal risk assessment. That's the one that you'll be familiar with, that employees have been familiar with. And really this is in response to, to um, quite a few people asking if there were generic templates. Um, having said that, if you really do want a generic template, then the only one that we're currently aware of has been published by HSE in Northern Ireland. The web, um, it is generic though, so it is not specific to food business. Um, so to be aware, so it will only be of uh, limited use, I would imagine. And then to pick up on face coverings, uh, it did come out as a, a top concern, probably unsurprisingly from our survey last week. On face coverings, we did say uh, a, on the webinar last week that we were expecting something from DEFRA and FSA uh, within the, the sort of couple of days. Unfortunately, that has taken a little bit longer. Um, we have actually seen um, an initial draft of a Q&A from, from DEFRA and FSA uh, to, to help with this issue, um, but they asked that we didn't circulate, that we waited for it to be finalised, and we know that they were talking about that yesterday. So we are hopeful that there will be a practical Q&A um, issued shortly. And really what that does is it uh, frames it in the context of uh, risk assessments and, and effectively that need to balance the um, safe and hygienic manufacture of a food product against uh, employee concerns and their requests, which is what's outlined in the generic guidance. And so really it, it's looking at the kind of practical ways that that might be handled and what a food business might uh, choose to look to do. So we don't have a firm date on that yet, but uh, that should be with us shortly. And with that, I'll hand across to Mark. Thanks very much, Kate. Good afternoon, everyone. Quite a short update on this section this week after the Chancellor's initial announcement of the 
extension of the scheme last week. We we're waiting for further details, which we are expecting soon and by the end of this month at the latest. Um, as well as that, the uh, increased unemployment that Ian's already mentioned with over 2 million people now claiming unemployment benefits. And we're also um, continuing to lobby around exemptions from the 14-day quarantine for seasonal workers and maintenance engineers in, in food manufacturing. Um, so really just a reminder this week of the uh, usual um, partners we highlight at this point. If you are having uh, concerns or trouble with recruitment, though, again, it looks like there'll be increasing availability of labour going forward. And looking a little bit uh, longer term, both in the context of COVID and more generally, um, a reminder that uh, we are still running our survey around national minimum wage and the low pay commission with the usual sur survey questions, but also further questions on, on the additional context of COVID. So. Um, once these slides are circulated, the link there will be available until tomorrow. Uh, and with that thing, I'm passing over to you, Dominic. On business support, we saw the announcement last Tuesday, shortly before the last one of these webinars, of uh, government intervention in trade credit insurance, something we've been calling for for uh, the best part of six or seven weeks, uh, and a very welcome announcement from ministers in Bayes and the Treasury. Uh, the announcement was rather short on detail, but we've had some time to give uh, a further read to what they said and to find out a bit more about what's happening behind the scenes over the last week. In short, the announcement said that government would intervene to temporarily guarantee business to business transactions that are currently supported by trade credit insurance. And I would note that the point on being currently supported may be something that we need to watch when further details come out to see how the intervention deals with any uh, new trade credit insurance that is required that wasn't previously in place. The government measure will be uh, to put in place temporary reinsurance agreements with insurers, and this will last at least until the end of 2020, covering both domestic and exports trade. Uh, and they've indicated they hope to cover the majority of insurance uh, and ensure that is maintained. What we have heard in the last week is that Final details of the schemes are being finalised with the Association of British Insurers. Um, the government is preparing to share further information, but at present there is nothing more available. They indicated that the, the agreements would be in place by the end of May. So on that basis, we would expect to see something in the next week or so from government. Uh, but we recognise the urgency of this for a lot of members. And Ian is uh, following up with one of, uh, I think, the George Eustace this week to emphasise the uh, priority of getting something out on this to help businesses prepare. On the second point around access to working capital, there haven't been any further announcements around the uh, coronavirus business interruption loan schemes for smaller and larger businesses, but there has been increasing noise that there are concerns about, about these two schemes, and as more data becomes available on uptake, it's demonstrating that businesses are opting not to access these schemes or having difficulty in doing it, uh, especially in comparison to the bounce back loan schemes introduced for very small businesses several weeks ago. Uh, in particular, uh, people from the finance sector have highlighted that the decision to include the EU rules around undertakings in difficulty is making life especially difficult for startups and for businesses that weren't profitable during 2019. 
So uh, we are seeing the suggestion that there will be some fairly significant changes over the weeks ahead to this. Moving on to tariffs, we saw the announcement very first thing this morning, and Ian and I joined a call with Greg Hans, uh, the Trade Minister, to discuss some of the detail of the announcement. What we've seen in short is a uh, step back from the temporary tariff that was announced in March uh, of 2019. Under the temporary tariff, some 87% some of existing trade would be uh, subject to zero tariffs under the most favoured nation tariffs set out at that time. This has been reduced to 60% in the current announcement. Um, I think it makes sense in many regards to do what they've done in that it, it provides uh, greater leverage for the negotiations they are undertaking with the EU, with USA and with Japan. But obviously this raises huge concerns for businesses uh, around uh, the, the challenges they would face if no deal is put in place, particularly with the EU, where some of these tariffs would enter into force. Uh, what, what we see in the detail of the tariffs is that there are a range of cuts, simplifications uh, and tariffs being removed. But in some areas, the government has listened to the input FDF provided in February, uh, and they stepped back from some of the changes they were suggesting, particularly around specific tariffs that are expressed as uh, euros per tonne. These have all been translated into pounds in the new version of the tariff, but uh, they've uh, shied away from converting those all to percentages, recognising the risk that that would uh, incentivise uh, cheaper, uh, low, potentially lower quality imports and make it much more difficult for higher value, higher quality imports to arrive into the country. FDF has shared a note of the announcement with members earlier today, and we are keen to hear your feedback on any of the details. We would encourage members to uh, have a look at that circular and follow the links through to the uh, government documents, the uh, web system to look up tariffs and the Excel spreadsheet to investigate what these tariff changes mean for you. Uh, and if you have any comments, please let myself or Luke Hindlaw know. Uh, now passing over to David Thompson to talk about the uh, uh, issues in Scotland. Uh, hi everyone, uh, and thanks Dominic. Uh, so the main news this week coming out of Scotland is the fact that Nicola Sturgeon uh, announced uh, on Monday that she will announce on Thursday. The guidance on the first stage of coming out of the lockdown um, with a view to that coming into effect a week later on the 28th of May. Uh, she also announced there would be a range of guidance published at this time, uh, and that's likely to include Scottish manufacturing guidance, which will be separate from the UK manufacturing guidance. I'm on the group that's looking uh, at that and has been consulted on that, and it seems to be in reasonable form at the moment. That manufacturing guidance will be supplemented by Food Standards Scotland guidance on the uh, needs of the uh, food and drink industry. Uh, that will be an evolution of the guidance that they have uh, currently on their website in the form of a Q&A um, and will include a step-by-step -step approach to risk assessment uh, as well for Scottish businesses, which might be helpful more generally. Um, the, as Ian noted at the start, the Pivotal Enterprise Resilience Fund opened again last week um, and has closed again uh, uh, yesterday uh, at five o'clock. Uh, we are aware that there were um, quite a lot of IT issues with the fund. Uh, uh, some of our members have told us that who are applying. So if you have any particular issues that you would like us to raise, then please do get in touch quickly and we'll see if we can funnel them back to uh, Scottish Enterprise. Uh, we do know that some businesses are, are already getting some funding from the first tranche of that. 
Um, so that's me from Scotland. Obviously, a lot still to happen this week. Uh, but if you have uh, any particular questions that you want to raise, if you just send them in, uh, because I have to go now, uh, we'll deal with them separately. So thank you, and I'm going to pass on to Pete for an update from Wales. Um, there's been quite a lot going on in the last week in Wales. Uh, as Ian mentioned earlier, we were talking one of the items is about the uh, unlocking our society and continuing the conversation. It's a, this is a traffic light system in, the way, in terms of the way of the lockdown. The key thing to there's no specific timings and it's just about stages and steps. Interestingly, to, regarding education and childcare, the position slightly moved. Previously, the position in Wales was we're not going to decide it until the 1st of June and no children are going back on the 1st of June. There's now a, a decision framework which might see some children going back in certain year groups by, by the end of June. A significant change in testing. Testing has been evolving over the last last few weeks. Uh, it was launched to food members or food workers um, last week, uh, and it's now been extended to anyone with symptoms in Wales as of as of this morning. And also, the system's moved across to the government portal to, to try and make it more consistent and make it easier to, easier to use. Uh, and finally, some consequential, some additional allocated uh, fund to Wales, 35 million by the government as a consequence of the testing of social care areas in. Um, in England. Um, just as a, a shout out while I'm here, we've got the Beyond Recycling consultation. Would like to get, if possible, any 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 submissions in as soon as we possibly can. That'd be most helpful. And for that, I'll, after that, I will pass over to Ted. Um, firstly, I'd like to thank everyone who's contributed case studies to our Hidden Heroes campaign already. We've had a great response from members on this, and these examples have really helped us highlight where industry has gone above and beyond during the pandemic. We're still very keen to hear from you if you've not yet been in touch, particularly those businesses in Scotland and Wales, as well as SMEs. If you do have content that you can share with us, please do get in touch with my colleague Ellie Ashwell. We continue to speak with the media regarding the current situation for food and drink manufacturers, and particularly where we need further clarification or support from government. Um, last Wednesday, following a call between Ian and Peter Foster of the Financial Times, FDF were featured as the lead contributors to a story regarding manufacturer concerns about the proposed 14-day quarantine plan and the impact that would have on food and drink supply. The story features FDF alongside other members of the M5, so that's ADS, the Chemical Industries Association, SMMT, and the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry. A story was also run on the Mail Online, The Sun, and The Grocer. Uh, the latest update on quarantine exceptions, following the call I had with Defra earlier, is that we can expect an announcement to be made on Thursday, although um, those dates do tend to shift. So um, we'll keep an eye on that one for you. Thank you very much, Ted. And thank you to all my colleagues who are commented. Uh, I think now it's an opportunity for everyone to ask questions. Will the government extend the shielding measures for the vulnerable people? Well, I think the answer to that, and happy for Kate to, or anyone else actually, uh, Mark or anyone else to jump in. Um, the, the clear guidance that we've had from both DEFRA officials and others, is that the shielded, the, the 1.6 million shielded people in this country and those who have been added to the list since uh, that was first, that list was first established eight or nine weeks ago, will continue to be strongly encouraged to remain at home. I think the government may well clean up the definition, I think I said this last week, may well clean up the definition of vulnerable, extremely vulnerable, uh, because these classes of people or these categorizations don't accord to other countries' experience in Europe um, or elsewhere. So we may see a redefinition of the groups, but those who are shielded because being extremely vulnerable with underlying health conditions, I think will stay 
uh, the advice will stay very strongly to remain shielded. Whether the government will succumb to pressure from uh, Tory MPs to allow 70-year-olds-plus uh, out of their uh, domestic imprisonment is another matter, and I rather suspect they will, um, but uh, that is something that we probably wouldn't um, matter in many cases to people on this call other than uh, in their personal lives. The key definition, I think, is for those who, are in who would otherwise be in employment. I would not expect the definitions for those who are currently in employment and therefore who are at, ho at home to change very much. But I think we will see that, uh, that definition recast uh, probably in the next two or three weeks. And it'll certainly have to be recast at the point when the government updates its guidance, uh, not next weekend, but the following weekend. I wouldn't expect that your shielded workers shielded workers will be available anytime soon would be my strong guidance i don't know if mark or kate want to comment on that no i think that's right ian um all they've said so far is it will be looked at again um obviously currently it's only formally until june but that they strongly expect that shielded uh will that will remain in place for some time so they've left it loose deliberately just to add to that um i don't know, but I suspect that when the furloughing guidance is updated before the end of the month, there will be provisions for shielded employees to continue to be shielded in the current way. But that's still to be confirmed. The only thing I would say is just to say that I think it's possible that the number of shielded people would climb uh, because some have, I believe, somewhere upwards towards a million have been added by GPs since the original list was established. That shouldn't make any difference really to employers because those who are shielded will have told you already that they're shielded. Um, but the actual totals might move around a bit, partly because of people being added who should have been there in the first place, partly because some people who shouldn't have been on the list are on the list, although that number will be much smaller, I should think, and partly because uh, they will do something or maybe not some do something with the over 70s. Michael asks, if a relative comes from abroad to live with a worker, will the worker have to self-isolate for 14 days? Uh, Martin Beckford asks, is there any news on the UK entry 14-day quarantine period exemptions for specialist engineers from food equipment suppliers? And Paul Howe says, is the expectation that the 14-day quarantine will now exclude contractors and engineers as the FDF has been lobbying? Well, let me ask Kate if she's, or, or Mark, if either of them have any information on that first question about somebody coming from abroad and presumably the question is that, that they come from abroad, they move relative. to they move into the house of uh, a relative. Does that relative then have to self-isolate? Um, my guess is the answer to that is yes. But okay, or Mark, do you have any information on that? I don't know. I'd agree with your assessment. That's how you'd expect it to work, but we can get that confirmed um, from government. We'll raise that with deference. I mean, what they have said is that those arriving will be, they will give, have to give, they, they've slightly changed this over the last couple of weeks. But what they have said is that those arriving will have to give an address, uh, a contact address. There will be spot checks, presumably, though the spot checks won't involve the authorities going into the house, otherwise they'd be self-isolating as well. And 
the uh, I imagine that the, and also that those who arrive without somewhere to go will be accommodated in uh, at the uh, expense of the government and I think the government has taken some hotels near airports for this purpose I, I'm afraid I don't know what would happen I mean I assume that you would make some if you knew your relative was coming and you did want to work you would make some arrangement that ensured that you were separated from them on the question of whether the exemptions that we've been seeking will be granted uh, I can't tell you the answer to that we've we've done everything we can to lobby for this. All the speculation I've seen on the announcements uh, over the last 24, 48 hours has referred to critical national infrastructure. And on a call I was on this morning, the same observation was made that, 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 that the exemptions would make provision for those engaged in the, in the maintenance of critical national infrastructure. Um, and since food and drink Manufacturing is regarded as part of the critical national infrastructure alongside defence and the NHS. You would hope uh, that that would include us, but I can't give you any guarantees until until we've seen it. I can only say that that we've been very strongly supported by our friends in um, in the relevant departments. A question, I think, for Kate or Pete. Is the testing for all symptomatic people over the age of five available in Wales too? Yes, I think is the answer to that. Uh, it has now opened up, as Pete indicated in his uh, when he was talking. We'll see you next week, Wednesday, the 27th of May at 10 o'clock. Thanks very much and good afternoon to you.